And uh, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 14, 1 Samuel 14. If you're new to how the scriptures are laid out, uh, it's about a quarter of the way through your Bible right there in the Old Testament. There's two of them, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. We're launching a new series uh, this week called Sidekicks, Sidekicks, the Unsung Heroes of the Bible. If you think about all great literature and all uh, amazing stories, what you find is they have interesting and unique characters. And many times they are flawed characters. But you typically have a main character and then you have this this supporting character that that really is integral to the life of the story. And and so um, they they interact kind of with the hero and and, and so they they make the story a bit more meaningful. And so we're going to look at some of these kinds of people within the scriptures. For example, um, these these people are not in the scriptures, but just to give you uh, some famous sidekicks, right? Famous sidekicks. How about Batman and Robin? Robin, He was a dude that wore tights. He was a sidekick to Batman. Uh, Another one would be, maybe uh, another example would be um, Mr. Spock. Mr. Spock, do we have any Trekkies in the audience? Come on. He was kind of the foil to Captain James T. Kirk. And uh, you might might think of sidekicks as um, maybe Red from the Shawshank Redemption. One of the best movies ever made. It's a pretty amazing character, not the primary character. Andy was the primary character, but, but, but Red was a fascinating uh, and part of the story that really made it powerful. And then, um, and then maybe there's, you know, another su- kind of sidekick would be uh, Donkey. Um, <laughs> these aren't the main characters, but they are so, such powerful parts to the story. And of course, there's no greater sidekick in the world than your friend and mine, Samwise Gamgee. The one, <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, this is an amazing story. And there's a scene like deep into the third movie, like nine hours in that you got to get to that is so poignant and so powerful. And he's there and they're on just getting ready to go up Mount Doom where they can throw the ring into the molten lava and destroy the eye, the evil eye, and, the, and they're going to save Middle Earth. And Samwise says to Frodo Baggins, his, his partner, he's, Frodo is wasted. He's overwhelmed. He's exhausted. He can't go any further. And we find a speech that is so powerful, so amazing. I wanted to show it to you this morning, but we had technical difficulties. And so I describe it. <laughs> he said, if you can. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And he puts him on his back and he takes him to Mount Doom. These are the kind of unsung heroes that are all throughout the scriptures. And if we look carefully, we will see 
that everyone, not just the main characters, but everyone has a part to play in God's great story. Everyone. And so our first character is going to be a character by the name of Jonathan. Jonathan. And he was David's friend. In this part of the story, David is the the great character of this passage. And he has yet to kill Goliath. He has yet to conquer the giant. He's still a shepherd boy, but soon he will be going back and forth between the king's palace and his own hometown of Bethlehem in the service of King Saul. David is about to be anointed by Samuel the prophet to become Israel's next king, but he must wait. Everybody say wait. He must wait for the appointed time, and Saul the king is not cooperating. This is where we find David's sidekick, if you will, entering the story. He is King Saul's son. So we're going to read four passages, and we're going to read long passages of Scripture because it's in story form. So I want you to kind of put your story hat on, and I want you to, to, to participate with me and listen to this story in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Let's pray over it. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story, the multiple stories throughout the Scripture. Give us revelation. Give us insight. Give us wisdom. Give us grace to obey. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 1 says, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. Now, the Philistines are the enemies of Israel. Meanwhile, Saul and his 600 men were camped on the outskirts of Gibeah around the pomegranate tree at Migron. And so then there's some story about, a little bit about who's there and, and It says, no one realized that Jonathan had left the Israelite camp. To reach the Philistine outpost, Jonathan had to go down between two rocky cliffs that were called Bozes and Senna. And the cliff on the north was in front of Michmash. These are some awesome names. And the one on the south was in front of Geba. So let's let's go across to the outpost of these pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle, whether he has many warriors or only a few. Do what you think is best, the armor bearer replied. I'm with you completely, whatever you decide. All right, then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. And if they say to us, stay where you are, we will kill you. Then we will stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we will go up. That will be the Lord's sign that he will help us defeat them. When the Philistines saw them coming, they shouted, Look, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes. (laughs) The Hebrews were hiding. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. For the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about a half an acre. And suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. This is an incredible story about Jonathan, and it gives us context. The first thing I want you to notice about Jonathan is he was courageous. He was a man of courage. 
He was courageous. Jonathan believed that God was with him. He was no slouch. He wasn't a peon. He wasn't a wimp. We think sidekick sometimes. We think wimpy, not important, not, no. These guys, this guy was full of courage and full of strategy. But I want you to notice something about him. Where did his courage come from? It came from God. His courage, he was willing to say, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. His confidence was in God and his confidence in God filled him with courage, filled him with a courageous act that, that he, would, he would climb up and conquer these, these, this enemy. Here's the thing I want you to see. Courage is not cultivated best by our own abilities, but by God's, by confidence in God's abilities. It's cultivated best, not by our own strength, not by our own skills, not by our own wisdom, not by our own strategy, but by confidence in God. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they, they're attacking. The, and, and what the scripture says, if you continue on the story, the Philistines, they, they panicked. They, they started to kill each other. They, they started to attack one another. They started to get confused. And then they start running. And, they, and what happens is all of Saul's men see this. They see them running. And so they start chasing them. And the, the Hebrews chase the Philistines for like two days. They just keep running from them. And they're attacking them. It's an incredible thing. So the Hebrews are hiding. And as soon as Jonathan does this, suddenly what happens? Courage fills the hearts of the Hebrews. Let me tell you that courage is required to stand alone. And often we have to stand alone. But once we stand, we often find that it is transferred to others. Hey, what I believe is that we all borrow courage from somebody. Jonathan borrowed it from the best source. That is God himself. But it transfers to other. Here's, it's all throughout the scriptures. It's an amazing thing. It says, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's what he told Joshua. That theme is all throughout the scriptures. God filling people with courage. I don't know about you, but I want to face life's challenges with courage and a holy suspicion. I want to be suspicious that God is with me. Amen. Suspicious that God is with me. This is a problem for so many of us. We don't think God is with us. Jonathan had courage because he believed God was with him. If you go on to four chapters later, four chapters later, we see in 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, turn over there, and we'll continue the story. We'll pick up the story. This is after David has conquered Goliath in the, in the Philistine fight, in the war that's going on between the Hebrews and the Philistines. And, and so, uh, so Saul has now noticed David and invited him to the palace. Here's what verse 1 says. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan the king's son, there was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. 
Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Jonathan was a loving person. Loving, that's your second fill in the blank. Jonathan was open-hearted and a vulnerable friend. And we see that playing out here in the story. We'll continue to understand where the story is going to take us. Verse 5 says, whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul, and they sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry, verse 8 says. What is this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp as he did each day, but Saul had a spear in his hand, and he suddenly hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall, but David escaped him twice. Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. Finally, Saul sent him away and appointed him commander over a thousand men, and David faithfully led his troops into battle. David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. Jonathan loves David, and Jonathan's father is beginning to hate him. And it begins to test Jonathan's love. But Jonathan, as we will see, as, as his friendship plays out with David, that he begins to open up. Honesty defines their relationship. Honesty, openness, vulnerability. Both of them talk very vulnerably with each other as we go through the story. See, these are the requirements of true friendship. Many of us struggle with true friendship. Many of us are wrestling with how to, how to be friends with, with people and, and to have the kind of friendship that we can rely on, the kind of friendship that will fill our lives with satisfaction and fulfillment. It's elusive in our culture. People are hurt. They're wounded. They grow up in a, in a dysfunctional or divorced family, and they, they, their hurts and their wounds, they carry them into their adult life, and then there's, a, there's barriers and, and blockages to, to reaching out, to opening your heart to people. David was, a, was an amazing person. Jonathan instantly was open and vulnerable. I, I, I think God's people need to be open, vulnerable, and we need to be able to spend time with people. Time is our greatest commodity. It's so challenging to spend time with people. Here's what C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher, apologist, and author said, he, he, he wrote an amazing book called The Four Loves. 
Write it down in your notes and pick it up. It is a really important book. He said, friendship is unnecessary like philosophy and like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. I'm going to read another passage uh, that he talks about in in this book that C.S. Lewis says, and I want you to listen to it. It says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Love is a decision that we make every day that requires risk. The alternative is simply a hardened heart and a cynical existence that robs our lives of meaning. Here's how Jesus is is described, here's how God is described in 1 John 4, 11 through 12. Just in the preceding verses, they've been talking about Jesus and how he came to give his life. And so verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and love is brought to full expression in us. This means people don't get to see what God really looks like. The way they see him best is when we love each other. When we love one another, God is the source of the life of the life and love, and his love flows through our lives into other people, and this is what awakens us to God. Jonathan's life was open. He was ready to engage in friendship and the love of God. It was, transform, it was a transformative relationship with David, for David. It transformed the life of David, our hero, I want us to demonstrate God's love in ways that transform the future of other people's lives. I want to I live in a way that, that, that I'm so full of God's love and, and, and sharing it with others that it will tra- be, I, will tra- I will be able to transform and participate in the transformation of other people's lives. So the plot thickens in chapter 19, and we're going to skip that, and we're going to go straight to chapter twenty. And as we go to chapter 20, if you keep going in the story, we're going to read it. David is on the run. There's been some altercations within chapter 19. And Jonathan's friendship begins to come into focus. Jonathan as a person, as a man, begins to, we begin to discover who he really is. David now fled from Naoth in Ramah and found Jonathan What have I done, he exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. (laughs) You're not going to die. He always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know my father wouldn't hide something like this from me. It just isn't so. And then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan, why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. 
Tell me what I can do to help you, Jonathan exclaimed. David replied, tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with the king on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until evening of the third day. If your father asks, fine. Oh, sorry, where I am, tell him I ask permission to go to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. If he says, fine, you will know all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, you will know he is determined to kill me. Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend, for we made a solemn pact before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father, but please don't betray me to him. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. And then David asked, how will I know whether or not your father is angry? Come out with, to the field with me, Jonathan replied, and they went out together. Then Jonathan told David, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry and wants you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so that you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David, saying, May the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again, for Jonathan loved David as himself. This is a powerful moment where we start to see Jonathan's courage come alive. There is a courage, but he has more than just courage. It's more than just love for David. We see that he is visionary. We see that he sees what God is doing. He is a visionary. Jonathan could see what God was doing and cooperated in a sacrificial way. This is the test of his friendship with David. And, and we'll see here in a moment as, as we continue in the story that Jonathan is making a decision where he, even his own life is in danger. But look, God wants us. He wants us to have vision. He wants to give us vision to cut through the cloudy and chaotic world that we live in. There are two kingdoms going on in the world. It's very clear throughout the scriptures. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of this world. Jesus himself is talking about this in the, one of his most well-known messages called the Sermon on the Mount, and he keeps talking about the kingdom of God and how it affects our, our, our relationships and how it affects our money, and he's talking about the kingdom of the world and the difference between the two all through this Sermon on the Mount, and he's highlighting that there's these two kingdoms in place, and we must gravitate. We must yield. We, we must surrender. It'll be good for us to surrender to the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of this world. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. He, he crystallized the idea, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over them, over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right. Listen, hey, Jonathan, Jonathan is a picture of Christ. You notice we've read it twice now. He loved David 
as he loved himself. Jesus is the one that boiled the two commandments down to loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. Jonathan is a picture, and and Jesus here in this passage is talking about how we don't flaunt our authority over people, but if we're going to really lead, if we're going to be the kind of people that will lead others, we're going to, we have to be servants. In the kingdom of God, this is how it works. Jonathan decides, I'm not going to take the authority for myself, even though it belongs to me. I see what God is doing, and I see that David is God's choice. I think that must have been difficult for Jonathan. There must have been some moment where he had to pause and sort of agonize. If we continue the story in 1 Samuel 20, notice what it says. He continues the the dialogue with David. Then Jonathan said, tomorrow, verse 18, tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. You will be missed when your place at the table is empty. The day after tomorrow toward evening, go to the place where you hid before and wait there by the stone pile. I will come out and shoot three arrows to the side of the stone pile as though I were shooting at a target. And then I will send a boy to bring the arrows back. And if you hear me tell him they're on this side, then you will know as surely as the Lord lives that all is well and there is no trouble. But if I tell him, go farther, the arrows are still ahead of you, then it will mean that you must leave immediately for the Lord is sending you away. And may the Lord make us keep our promises to each other, for he has witnessed them. So David himself in the field, and when the new, David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon festival began, the king sat down to eat. He sat as he, at his usual place against the wall with Jonathan sitting opposite him and Abner beside him. But David's place was empty. Saul didn't say anything about it that day, for he said to himself, something must have made David ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. But when David's place was empty again the next day, Saul asked Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse been here for the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan replied, David earnestly asked me if I could go to Bethlehem, he said. Please let me go for we are having a family sacrifice. My brother demanded that I be there, so please let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he isn't here at the king's table. Verse 30. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore, he swore at him. Whoa. Saying words like that in church. Do you think... It's in the Bible. So so you don't... Do you think I don't... Now listen to this. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother? As long as that son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Now go and get him so I can kill him. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? And then Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan, intending to kill him. So at last, Jonathan realized that his father was really determined to kill David. (laughs) Really? Jonathan left the table in fierce anger and refused to eat on the second day of the festival for he was crushed by his father's shameful behavior toward David. And the next morning, as agreed, Jonathan went out into the field and took a young boy with him to gather his arrows. Start running, he told the boy, so you can find the arrows as I shoot them. So the boy ran and Jonathan shot an arrow beyond him. When the boy had almost reached the arrow, Jonathan shouted, the arrow is still ahead of you. Hurry, don't wait. So the boy quickly gathered up the arrows and ran back to his master. He, of course, suspected nothing. Only Jonathan and David understood the signal. 
And then Jonathan gave his bow and arrows to the boy and told him to take them back to town. As soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed, sorry, bowed, his, bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. The thing that I want you to see is that Jonathan was willing to embrace God's purpose instead of his own plans. That he saw God's purpose instead of his plans. He, I'm sure he wanted to become the next king. But there was something here that God was doing and he embraced it. He had courage to face a very difficult situation. He had love for David and love for his father and that leads us to this fourth and final really amazing characteristic of Jonathan and it is loyalty, loyal. Jonathan was, a, was loyal to his father and loyal to his friend. This is the brilliance of Jonathan. He didn't just see the writing on the wall and forsake his father. That would have been self-preservation. That would have been putting his interests above others, above everybody else's. Instead, he made a hard choice. Jonathan honored David as God's chosen leader while staying loyal to his father. Did you know, we won't take time to read the passages here, but did you know that Jonathan died in battle with his father? If you read these passages, what you will find is that Jonathan stayed loyal to his dad. So many times we are faced with choices and we're always bombarded with this either or mentality. Our lives are filled with either or. You either like this or you like this. You either, you either have to go this way or you have to go this way. Jonathan was, was given the choice, follow your father or follow David, and he chose a third way. Stephen Covey in the, in the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about always looking for a third alternative. People will try to trap you in an either-or scenario, but God has a third way. God has a third way for you and me, and sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's difficult. Some, we're faced with this decision, these kinds of decisions all the time at work or in our family. This binary decision-making process, God has multiple options for us. In fact, what, what is so powerful about Jonathan is he saw what God was doing and began to follow it, but he kept loyalty at the heart. I don't know if you realize this, but brand loyalty is all but gone in our culture. Every, we're all bombarded with decisions after decision after decision, all kinds of stuff. It used to be in our culture that people were like, they, they were loyal to a brand like Chevrolet. We just buy Chevrolet, right? Nobody does that anymore. Chevrolet sales show it. <laughs> you, there pe people like, like, like they're committed to Hidden Valley Ranch, the salad dressing. Nobody does that anymore. Have you, you ever seen somebody carry their own ranch dressing to a restaurant? <laughs> Weird people. <laughs> there is something that, that we're bombarded by. Here, listen to me. There's something we're bombarded by in our culture, and it is opportunities and choices. What I want to challenge us to do is to develop 
loyalty and faithfulness and sacrifice because these are values that when demonstrated by God's people, they begin to reveal the character of God. They reveal God's character. As God's people, we, we, we must be the people that are willing to be loyal to him and to others in a way that make us stick out in our culture, in a way that makes us unique, that we create a community where loyalty is still a high value. For most of us, because you live in our culture, when you think of loyalty, you think of the abuses because you've been reprogrammed. Make no mistake, sacrifice and loyalty are God's values that he wants lived out because they reflect him. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Romans 12.1 says that we are living sacrifices before God. Jonathan was the pivotal character in this story, in this scenario between David and Saul. David didn't become king just because he was so humble and refused to grab the crown from Saul. Saul was so vile and violent and so angry, and he could have he could have made almost anything happen as the king, but we see that in the midst of the story, there is this character, Jonathan, who really makes it possible for David to become king. He makes it possible for David to become king. Imagine what might happen if we could be the kind of people that would embrace loyalty and sacrifice, that we could recapture it in our culture, that we could recapture it as a way of living for God. What would people see? What would they experience as a, as a result of living alongside of us? You may never believe you're going to be the king, or you, you, you may not have confidence that, that you might be David, but Every one of us can be Jonathan. Every one of us can be Jonathan and are called to be Jonathans in this world. Close your eyes, bow your head, and let's pray. I want you to think about how, how your life functions. I want, to, I want you to think about whether or not you live like Jonathan or, or, or whether you are... Um, really living for yourself, whether you have courage, whether you have, or you're willing to be vulnerable and love people, whether you're willing to see the vision that God is placing before you, whether you're opening your eyes, whether you're willing to be loyal and faithful. And as you come to the table of the Lord in these moments, I want you to, I want you to see and understand that Jonathan was an amazing person that we just studied. But he was reflecting another person that was to come. He was a foreshadowing of a person that was to come. His name is Jesus. And Jesus himself does the great miracle in our lives of not just dealing with our actions, not just trying to make us into um, more, um, better acting people, but he actually does something that's so profound, so amazing. He goes internally into our hearts and begins to change our motives. He begins to change our willingness. And so as you come to this table, I want you to be willing to listen to Jesus himself. Father, would you...
Would you help us as we come to this table to receive all that Jesus has for us? That this bread represents something greater than just pieces of bread, that it represents Christ's body. And we take his body into us as a symbol of taking him into us. We, we receive this cup as a symbol of forgiveness, Christ's blood that was spilled on the cross, that Jesus was, was buried and then he rose again. Thank you for this, Lord. Lord, teach us, show us, reveal who you are to us and change us from the inside out in Jesus' name. Amen.